I spent my life folded between the pages of books. In the absence of human relationships, I formed bonds with paper characters. I lived love and loss through stories threaded in history. I experienced adolescence by association. My world is one interwoven web of words, stringing limb to limb, bone to sinew, thoughts and images all together. I am a being comprised of letters, a character created by sentences, a figment of imagination formed through fiction. Tahedi Mafi. Welcome to the Lost Traveler podcast. I'm your ever-loving host, Henry Cameron Allen. And I'm very excited today to have a new friend join me, Danny Bressel, who uh, lives in Aurora, Colorado, which is where my mom lives. Hi, mom. Um, <laughs> and you are a reading ambassador. Tell me tell me about that. And, and welcome again. It's a pleasure to know well, you. First of all, thanks so much for having me, Henry Cameron. Uh, I feel like I have a long lost friend. You and I, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> You're like, hey, we gotta start recording this because we just started chatting like old buddies. Uh, I, I'm so envious of uh, your travels. I wish more Americans would go out, go out and see the world. Uh, uh, I don't know if you, you've noticed it. When you travel, you learn two things. First of all, you have a much better perspective of the rest of the world. Yeah. And more importantly, you start to stop taking for granted a lot of the advantages that we have in America that we just completely take for granted all the time. Oh boy. And it's not until you're outside looking in that you really get a sense of that. I was very lucky. My father was a career diplomat uh, for the US government. And so I lived abroad most of my foundation years and until high school really, uh, till my sophomore year in high school when I came back to the States and I went to a boarding school in Connecticut. That's a whole other ep podcast episode. Wow. Um, but, uh, but we lived in Europe first and then we lived in the USSR in the 70s, late 70s, which was really an interesting time to be there, let me tell you. And then Latin America, we were in Brazil for seven years oh, wow. uh, and then Cuba after that. And so I really got not only the flavor of the countries that we were in, and I really applaud my father who we just lost in October from, to COVID. Sorry. Yeah, um, I got to connect I, you with my, my roommate, my undergraduate roommate, his dad was uh, the ambassador to Brazil. I, I bet you, you guys know each other. <laughs> <laughs> Probably it could be, what's his name? Patrick Schwartz. Patrick Schwartz, mm, depends on the time. I can't we remember. We were there, we were there, but you know, it's yeah. possible our dads knew each other. I love it, man, I love it. I, I really wish people get out there. I mean, the best, uh, well, and even then, that's what, so I guess, well, I'll try and direct us back to reading, but uh, that, <laughs> that's actually, uh, there's a great book I used to read to my students called It Can't Be Done, Nellie Bly. Uh, and a lot of Americans don't even know their history, it drives me nuts. Uh, Nellie Bly was one of the first investigative journalists. That's right. And she worked for a guy named Joseph Pulitzer, and I bet you a lot of Americans prefer that guy. Well, um, uh, the best-selling book of the day was a book called Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne. Verne. And right. Nellie Bly went up to Mr. Pulitzer, her editor, and she said, I'd like to try and go around the world in 80 days. And he thought, and the first thing he said is, it can't be done, Nellie Bly. And <laughs> started churning it in his head and he started thinking oh there might be some money to be made on this if we if we did this and so he sponsored her and it became this big event every american had to figure out where she was on every certain day but she failed to go around the world in 80 days she did it in 72 days wow and uh, uh my favorite part of the story is that one of her first stops was in france to visit jules verne and a lot of Americans, a lot of people don't know this, Jules Verne actually never left France his entire life. He wrote the book, having never left France, and he was delighted that not only was somebody attempting to uh, to take the journey, but it was a woman that was doing it. And so that's, that's a really great story. And in the early 20th century. Oh yeah. It was, it was bold for a woman to be a journalist, let alone a teacher in many oh, cases. Yeah. I mean, amazing time. And, and you're absolutely right. I think it's not just in America anymore. But uh, it's it's globally. I think that there is a sort of uh, 
pull away from literature, a pull away from history. And there are so many shiny objects flying around our heads and so many new apps and so many new toys and so many new shiny things that keep us distracted from noticing A, the foundations of culture, the foundations of governments and, and uh, communications, but also in noticing the history that we are repeating, mm. you know? And we talk about America, but it really has permeated the world. Name one country that does not have a corrupt government. That's right. Name one. I can't think of any, right? Bhutan. So, Bhutan. Bhutan, maybe, maybe. Um, but but it's everywhere. What do you what do you attribute that to? I mean, giving well, I, you know, it's funny. My men's Bible study. One of the points I always make. I'll be reading the Bible and I'll be like, man, these people are really stupid. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right we repeat the cycle we just never learn but it's all right I, again i always i'm an optimist i know you are too travelers are optimists yeah. you can't be a there's no such thing as a pessimistic traveler right. uh you have to you have to go on and keep on pushing and uh i always believe the brightest moments are on their way they're just across the horizon um you know it's ironic. I'll get. I'll get us back to reading. I, I'm no. Listen, this is what it is, and and this, <laughs> this because it, I call it the lost traveler because we are all lost travelers. Nobody yeah. can tell you what is coming down the pike. No one knows what's going to happen <laughs> tomorrow, and 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 so this is a way to just sort of navigate our time together, nice. talking That's to true. experts in one life skill or another, a universal life skill, right? That we all learn, all 8 billion of us on the planet now, right? That we all learn these things. And what are life skills? What are, what to you, when I say life skills, what does that include? Yeah, well, I mean, traveling is one of those life skills. I mean, travel, what I love Henry Cameron about travel is that it really does show you all of your life skills that you have. <laughs> it's funny when I'm backpacking, you know, usually when you come to a new place, you, you really go down to your roots. You're looking for food and shelter first. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and, and then, and then it's interesting because you really start to socialize. You start to just meet right. people from everywhere. You're and you're, you're taking and you really just start doing, Yeah. And it's, isn't it neat just to, to see people with their different points of views. And I mean, it's one of the things I try to teach people now in audiences is, you know, especially in America lately, we've really started to lose our manners. Yeah. And I say, folks, we can we can disagree with one another without being disagreeable to one exactly. another. Plus, said. I mean, I have an uncle who watches cable network news 24 hours a day. And I asked him recently, I said, has the president asked you to advise him lately? He said, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you're so well informed. I figured the president must use you as an advisor. I'm like, no, of course he doesn't. So why are you worried about these events that you are not going to do anything about and right. you can't control and they're just making you grumpy? I mean, the greatest thing, the greatest thing in the world about traveling is you go to a play. <laughs> it's funny. You'll love this story. I was in Bolivia in a pub with a couple of British chaps because yeah. whenever you're backpacking, there's always Kiwis and Aussies and Brits traveling everywhere. That's too. They always find the British pub. Yeah. And uh, these two guys, oh my gosh, Henry Cameron, I just, I fell in love with them. They, they had been on walkabout basically for three years. They'd been everywhere. They'd been to, they'd been to Serbia. They'd been to Iran. They'd been to Afghanistan. They'd been to Cambodia. We were in Bolivia, which at the time was probably, probably the poorest country in, uh, in South America, yeah. uh, and uh, I asked them, I said, okay, of all of your travels, what was the most dangerous situation you ever felt yourself in? They didn't even hesitate. They looked at each other like, well, one time we took a public bus in Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm like, you've been in war-torn countries. And oh no, people have dangerous no situation idea. because like their assumption was that every American is armed and dangerous. And I'm like, wow, it's interesting. It's always these pre like even when you said you had lived in the Soviet Union, I guarantee you half of your audience is like, oh, oh my gosh, it must have been. And I'm like, 
but that's a perception. You have no idea. You've never been there. I mean, when I went to Spain, you know, you and I were talking about this living in Spain. I'm like, well, there's just so many things about Spain that are different. I mean, you start to, I remember every Monday, somebody, somebody new was on strike. So some Mondays we yeah. had no power. And right. then some Mondays we had no water and some Mondays the, the subway wasn't running. And it's just, it's just a matter of life. People are just like, eh. You know? Well, that's everywhere. Like I said, there are 8 billion people on the planet right now. And the foundations of our lives and the skills that we learn are exactly the same. They are, no matter where you are, the quality or the culture might be different. Yeah. But the found the common ground that we all stand on, which is really the conversation globally we should be having, I think. I agree. Uh, A guy wire is a tensioned cable that is designed to enhance the stability of a freestanding structure. Think of me as your guy wire in terms of life skills mentoring. You're perfectly capable of standing stably on your own two feet, but I'm a cable that can enhance your stability. I'm available for individual or couples counseling, life skills mentorship, child loss grief support, LGBTQ plus support. I can also officiate weddings, end of life ceremonies, baby namings, invocations, or whatever guidance you may need. I serve all genders, all ages. Sessions are affordable, discreet, private, and conducted online. Find me at guy-wire.org. Book your appointment today. You know, I think that will make people even more curious. In a time when we have so much information accessible, not only reading, but video, we can go into these mysterious places, sometimes very dark, and in a safe way, explore the world that we live in through a variety of different lenses. Yeah. And yet people still opt to stay in an echo chamber where they're hearing the same messaging over and over and over again, the mm -hmm. same fear mongering, the same philosophies, even spirituality. You know, when yeah. you're caught in an echo chamber, I, I believe, uh, that we lose our individuality and our, our individual perception. We are, all of us, a reflection of the divine. Every major religion in the world says that in some degree or other, that we are created in God's image or whatever, however we express it. And what does that mean? That means we're imbued with all the same powers that we ascribe to the creative force of this universe, right? We have the power of creation. We have the power of destruction. Right. If you want to boil it down to a, a binary concept, but it, it's there are so many mysteries out there that it doesn't take a whole lot for us to solve and, and to find that common ground. My father worked for the USIA, the U.S. Information Agency, which is now defunct. But that was the program. It is. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. For many years now. Well, because their, their mission, their, their modus operandi was to Americanize the world. They were the wow. propaganda machine of the U.S. Wow. government. <laughs> right? This was at a time when my father was involved before there was even a McDonald's outside the U.S. There was wow. the time. Right? We can't even conceive of that now. Yeah. But what America became expert at was taking, appropriating aspects of cultures around the world, yeah. wrapping it up in a big, shiny red, white, and blue ribbon and selling it back to the world as American. Yeah. We, we made it better. Or <laughs> this is original to America, like apple pie and baseball and jazz. None of those are original to America. <laughs> well, this is why you should read. That's what I tell you. Thank you. And that brings us to the topic of the day. Yeah. Why, why well, is it that you think people are not reading the way we used to, other than technology has changed? Well, I, you know, technology has changed. And that's what I tell people is uh, when people say that, that people aren't reading, I'm like, well, that's, 
that's bogus. I think people read a lot more today than they did in the 18th century. You're exposed to so much media on any given day. It's just different types of media, like you said. I mean, that's what I was with a, a fourth grade teacher. She gave me this boy and she's like, oh, he doesn't know how to read. And uh, Henry Cameron, in like one hour, the guy had like texted 20 friends. He had surfed the internet. You know, I'm like, he's highly literate. You're just using a definition from 100 years ago. I mean, he's, right. he's just using right. his skills in a different way. Um, I actually think, though, there is a common stream, though. It's really the same thing that I've seen for a long time. I think schools do an adequate job, adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read a book. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they love it. But I I see so many. So I was doing an interview with a a Nigerian television station Mm -hmm. and they asked me the same question. They're like, why aren't our kids reading? I'm like, well, Nigeria, the school system is still based on the British uh, model and Mm -hmm. So they're forcing Nigerian kids to read Jane Austen, Charles Dickens, and William Shakespeare, and nothing against any of those authors. I think they're all fantastic, but maybe if you gave them a book by Chinua Achebe, they might be a little bit more interested in that. You know, like when I was in Spain, I wanted to read Spanish authors. I didn't want to read, you know, American authors. I mean, uh, if I'm with a little boy, you know, there aren't many little boys that are really interested in uh, Sarah Plain and Tall or Little House in the Prairie. Okay. But if you give them a book on uh, bodily functions or on monster trucks or on soccer, you know, that's going to spark their interest. And I think so the, the long answer to your short question is, you know, I think people read, but schools kind of emphasize forcing them to read things that aren't necessarily of interest to them. And one of the things I really try to point out to people is our research is really clear on this. It doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James and James, James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. And, you know, a secret is the little boy who only reads Captain Underpants is going to become a better reader than the little boy who refuses to read anything. Captain Underpants is the gateway drug to Shakespeare, but you right. gotta get him hooked first. And so uh, just like listening to you, I mean, there's no way a person can listen to you for 30 seconds and not feel your passion. I mean, this is what a good teacher does Thank is you. you show your passion. Uh, I had a great teacher in, in seventh grade, uh, Will Hobbs. He became one of the best-selling young adult authors in the, in the world. Uh, he writes books that are popular with teenage boys about uh, outdoor adventure books. And Will was the first got, person to get me interested in reading. He had 5,000 books in his classroom. And every day at the beginning of the class, he would tell us what he was reading. We would tell him what we were reading. And the rest of the 50-minute period, we read. And whenever we finished a book, we'd go up to Mr. Hobbs. He'd put down the book he was reading, look through our book, ask us three or four questions. If he was satisfied with our answers, he gave us a point. Every book up to 200 pages was worth one point. Every extra 100 pages was worth another point. You needed 25 points to get an A. And the top five point totals had their names written on the board. And I wanted my name written on that board. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. 500 page book, four point book. Also an excellent Disney film starring James Mason and Kirk Douglas. That's right. I didn't didn't feel like reading a 500 page book. So I took (laughs) the book up to Mr. Hobbs. He asked me four questions and I learned a very valuable lesson that day, Henry Cameron. Books ain't always like the movies. That's right. I learned a great teaching strategy. You know, uh, guilt works because I read every word of every page of every book from that point forward. Wound up with 44 points went well above above and beyond what I had to do. And he used the greatest strategy I've ever seen a teacher use to get a kid excited about reading. He found out what I was interested in, which was football. And at least once a week, he'd give me a a, a football book. He'd be like, hey, Danny, here's a book on John Elway. I think you'll like it. What are the odds I open up that book? In my experience with all age levels, 100%, because 
there's not, I mean, the kid might not read it, but they're going to open it. And I also find by the fourth time I do that with a kid, they're going to try and read that because there's nothing more powerful than somebody significant in your life, a teacher, a coach, a pastor, a parent, a buddy saying, hey, I read this and I was thinking of you. This is how you get people engaged. I mean, if a person's listening to your podcast right now is not excited about travel, I mean, what is wrong with you? I mean, (laughs) I'm excited. Like you got me. I've got the wanderlust again right now. (laughs) Balance, pain mitigation, range of motion, athletic performance, focus, memory, immune system support, and REM level of sleep. All this and more made possible affordably with no pharmaceuticals, no injections, or invasive treatments. Just socks, insoles, and patches made stronger with the tactile patterning of Vox Life products. Scientifically proven to work and guaranteed. Now in the USA, Canada, and the UK, Visit www.dianedinkmeyer.voxlife.com. That's Vox, V-O-X-X, life. You'll be glad you did. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, is that the lost traveler, maybe at first glance, you think, oh, it's a travel podcast. It's not. It's about traveling through life. It is universal life skills conversations because I don't care if you're living in a mud hut in Uganda or if you're living in a penthouse apartment in Manhattan trading stocks, right? Mm -hmm. And and in Africa, you're trading, you know, a handful of rice for three eggs. It's still financial literacy, right? We're all learning the same life skills is the point. The question is, For ourselves as individuals, how do we gauge what skills we are proficient in, what skills we are deficient in, and to reflect on the fact that globally, this needs to be a conversation, that globally, the sole people responsible for imparting essential life skills to humans that are are operational on a daily basis of our existence our parents and most parents that I've met, myself included, are deficient in many of the life skills that they are charged with teaching. These are things Mm -hmm. not being taught in schools. They're certainly not all being taught at home because everyone, even though we're learning the same skills, it's not a question of whether we're learning it, it's how well are we learning it and from whom. And a lot of the young people that I've interviewed, when I ask them, who taught you your life skills? And when I say life skills, like you said, we're talking about communication skills. We're talking about nutrition. We're talking about hygiene. We're talking about uh, sexual literacy, emotional literacy, right? Um, all of these, these qualities that we, that we experience and carry, who taught you those things? Mm. 99.9% of the young people that I've interviewed have not said from my parents. They have said, I go and find a YouTube video (laughs) or I go and, you know, I just watch the world around me or I learn from my friends who tell me what, you know, what to do in this situation. And, and so we're caught in a cycle of deficiency Mm. and, and that's part of, you know, the, the development of world education. You know, we're talking about British systems, we're talking about American systems. Well, think about when those systems that we are still using today were developed. They were developed with the Industrial Revolution to get children out of nature, off of farms and into factories. They were designed to dehumanize and de-individualize the human being. And that, I believe, is still the case. I had an English teacher who forbade us from any creative writing any book reports that we had to write this is in middle school yeah they had to be technical texts things like you know about ethanol and you know report what 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 world was he trying to prepare us for right (laughs) um 
you know, and I was a sensitive, quiet kid. I wasn't a kid that was into football. I was not a kid that was into mechanics and yeah. all the quote unquote boy things. And yeah, I think yeah. it's a lot easier now to be more fluid in and respectful to the inner impulse. There are going to be boys out there who will adore Little House on the Prairie and Sarah yeah. Plantall. And there are some girls out there who are going to adore, you know, Jules Verne. Mm -hmm. the same in the same way um i think it's easier now because of technology because there's more information about the human psyche and the human experience mm -hmm. to navigate those worlds and inspire you know most of the reading that that i think a lot of especially uh, uh western societies are doing today are reading people's opinions on social media without the expertise, which is why I started this podcast, because we need experts to come into this conversation together and say, what are the essential skills that we need to ramp up in ourselves and to promote through our work, through the books we've written or the books or the, the clients that we work with? What are, what are you seeing uh, in your in your journey, Danny, um, in terms of you know all the list of of life skills, what do you feel generally people are most deficient in that can be helped with developing a love of reading? Well, uh, gosh, you have a lot packed in that one, Cameron. <laughs> um, first of all, I'm going to give a book recommendation, which is yes. just your podcast which uh was uh travels by michael crichton the guy that wrote jurassic park uh, yes a great book called travels which great is basically book. it's about his travels around the world but it's also about his spiritual and his inner journey as well and i when you were talking i'm like oh i hope you've read travels because it's exactly yes. that type of i'll put a link to it in the in the uh in the description yeah it's a great book um you know the other book i was thinking of is uh I would, one of the most beautiful places on the planet to me is Ronda in uh, in Spain in uh, Andalusia. And uh, when I was in Ronda, I saw the bridge and I immediately I'm like, oh my gosh, Ferdinand, the book of yes. the, the bull that he wouldn't fight in the ring, he'd smell the roses. It, that was me. Oh, which is- <laughs> I was Ferdinand. Well, and that's what, I mean, you were touching my heart and you, you called me out and you were right about that. Cause I'm like, you know, I, I did make a gross stereotype. Oh, I boys like this. And you're, and like, <laughs> obviously you're right. Obviously you're right. I mean, and that's what you do is you listen to the kid. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm always interested and that's actually, you know, so I have three children of my own mm -hmm. and it's great being a parent, Henry Cameron, because you start to realize, wow, we're all under the same roof and they just have their own personalities. Oh, you know, yeah. and they all have their complete different interests. I mean, yeah. my son doesn't give a hoot about football. My my youngest daughter knows more about football than my son. Right. You know, he, he <laughs> Dungeons and dragons and right. you know, uh, doesn't matter where we travel, the first thing he's looking for is the weapons that they sell. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. I'm like, okay. But I learned this from my mom. This was fascinating. So my mom passed away from COVID. Um, Sorry. And uh, actually, I posted a I posted a photo. My mom was an actress, and uh, uh, I posted a photo yesterday because she'd been in some uh, productions with Angela Lansbury. And so I'm like, oh, oh here's my wow. mom, Angela Lansbury. Um, uh, I missed that, but it was interesting because it wasn't until several years ago I found out that my mom hates football, and I'm like how can you hate football? You used to talk to my brother Jim and me about football all the time. And she says, if you're a mom with two teenage sons and you want to talk to them, you learn, learn about football. Exactly. And I thought, wow, that's beautiful. What a beautiful teaching tip. I mean, like if my son, if all he wants to learn about is like, oh, we're going to do Broadway shows. I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn all about Broadway shows. If right. all he wants to know about, I mean, and the other point you made, which I thought was great was, you know, you're in a small village in the southwest of Spain, but you have a laptop and an internet connection, which gives you access to the entire planet. Fiber and optics, man. Technology <laughs> excites me. I, I mean, people always look at the, oh, this, this is going to destroy civilization. I'm like, no, because right now there's some barefoot kid sitting on a dirt floor somewhere, maybe hasn't eaten breakfast. But if that kid has a laptop and an internet connection, they have the same access as the head of Google. The world just got a whole lot smaller. 
And I'm getting really excited wondering, there's that kid that's going to cure cancer out there. There's a yeah. kid that's going to figure out, oh, here's how we create a productive government that doesn't rob its citizens. Yeah. Uh, oh, here's a way to, to get people. I mean, I love being around these people that think differently. I mean, it's, you know, when they award the Nobel Peace Prize, I've always wondered why they never gave it to the guy that came up with Benelux, because Benelux was created uh, after World War II to unite the economies of Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg, because yeah. they found a lot of wars were starting in that region. We need to connect right. their economies. And people forget about this. I'm like, that's actually brilliant, because America and China can never get in a war because they're dependent on one another. They really are, yeah. One sells the products, the other one buys the products, you know. Uh, and I'm like, why aren't we linking economies and finding like a North, I mean, I understand why you, oh, we're gonna penalize North Korea by not trading with them. But I'm like, but if you do trade with them and make them dependent on you, they can't threaten you anymore because it's in their best interest not to fight you. It's a different, I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And that's why I think everybody was startled when Russia invaded Ukraine. They're like, wait a sec, this is the 21st century. Right. That's not how you have isn't, war. Isn't that passe? Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, that's <laughs> 1975. You know, like, exactly. Yeah. That's so Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's crazy. And, and, and I think once you get out into the world and you see it, or at least I can only speak from my own experience, but I'm, I'm also now looking at my country of birth mm -hmm. through a very different lens than I could and did when I was there. Your generous sponsorship and individual support of the Lost Traveler podcast benefits the Lost Travelers Club, a charitable project under the fiscal sponsorship of United Charitable, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. The Lost Travelers Club focuses primarily on the needs of parents who have outlived their beloved children. We recently launched our new Brain Candy Project Wing, providing art supplies to children still struggling with critical or terminal health-related conditions. We hope to raise enough funds to launch Brain Candy, an arts and literature magazine created by and for these young people. Find out more at www.braincandy.online. Thank you. Nationalism, I think, is becoming passe. Yeah. I also think that we need to start, like you were saying and alluding to, that we need to start looking at a sort of reforming or restructuring of economy and how we trade and how we... Are we are all dependent on one another. This is a tiny little planet. There are not that yeah, many people right there, here, right? right? We are all dependent on one another. And so borders, as it used to be, and not that long ago, are sort of, they, they're, they're imposed, right? I, I have a cousin who's an indigenous chief in, in uh, Turtle Island, which is what we call oh, North wow. America. Uh, he's of the Ojibwe, and um, and he has been teaching me a whole lot about the history that we don't know about the trade routes between can what we call Canada and what we call South America. Mm -hmm. There were there were no borders there, naturally or otherwise, or imposed. Yeah. And there were historic thousands of years people would trade on these routes. It's like the Silk Road in the East. Uh -huh. Right. And so I feel like maybe it's time to start reevaluating what we've done to one another to de start deconstructing history a little bit. We have to learn the history and the challenge that we have with books and literature is that the history that we learn is very often written from one perspective and usually the uh, you know the conquerors or the colonists or the the conquistadores, yeah. which many of them came from the region that I'm in right now, it's Extremadura. Um, we don't hear from the other side. Why? Because most of them were kept illiterate. Mm. You know, we think of the Middle Ages, and we think of you know the only people who wrote and read were scribes. 
you know, and monks <laughs> and, and only learning about the world from a one singular perspective. And if you don't agree with what we were telling you, we're going to torture you, we're going to bully you, we're going to, to kill your family and threaten you, right? So that, that fear, there's a science I talk about a lot called epigenetics, which is fairly new, that is showing that our genes carry ancestral memory and that a lot of the things that trigger us right now, be it political or be it social or economic, are actually residual feelings right. that we are still carrying from the past, from our ancestors, mm -hmm. which is really fascinating. I, I, I encourage anyone to get out there and read about epigenetics because I think it's groundbreaking. It's, it's, it's very telling about our humanity and our human history. We know now that humanity sprung out of East, East Africa, yeah. right? We know That's that. When I was applying for college colleges, my father said I should put down that I was African-American because the origins of man were from Africa. <laughs> you know what? Talk to the Ojibwe, the Anishinaabeg, and they believe that they were the first people, right? Uh -huh. And every culture is going to have some kind of, you know, every indigenous culture has some creation myth that yeah. proves to them in their faith that they are the original people. That's and right. so I think that needs to be held and respected and researched and studied as well. We have studied DNA now. We have the capacity to do that. I think we're just scratching the surface. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 was, I was having this debate with some kids the other day. I'm like, isn't it interesting that every picture you see of Jesus, he's white. Right. Exactly. The guy grew up in the Middle East. I'm pretty sure he wasn't a white dude. <laughs> you know, and, we, and we've all studied the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, but you know what? Who did they study and who inspired them Absolutely. in That's their right. politics and in their arts? And you start scratching the surface of African history. Oh, yeah. Um, and you start to discover pretty quickly how little we've been taught and yeah. how those cultures that we have learned about, because we are all, you know, that sort of Eurocentric uh, uh, immigrant population. Well, that that we, this is how well, you get people excited about reading. I mean, that's, that's yeah. what turns me on. So I'm a, among my many hats, I'm a visiting distinguished professor at the American University in Cairo. Say that five times fast. Wow, fantastic. <laughs> and when I'm there, it's great because I like to go to schools in the area and do trainings for the parents. And so um, I've gone to this Islamic school. It's my first time in an Islamic school. And I had all these preconceptions, Henry Cameron, and it was fascinating. At two in the afternoon, 400 parents showed up to one of my trainings and it was like the muslim brotherhood all the guys had the long beards yeah. all the women were in burqas and we were chatting like you and i were chatting right now and i'm like wow shame on me i had all these preconceptions That's and right. i started off my presentation i said so i was reading this book have any of you ever read the quran and they all laughed <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm like oh well then you know the story when the angel gabriel appears in the cave to muhammad What's his first instruction to Muhammad? Because the first pillar of Islam is to read. That's right. And so I looked at him, I said, so not only should we get your kids reading, it's actually written in your most sacred text. It's your duty to get your kids reading. And I had 400 heads doing this. And I'm like, Henry Cameron, who would have thought that this Christian dude from America, his greatest audiences are Muslims. They're like my favorite people to speak to. And I'm like, it, it goes to everything you're saying. You need to get out there. And like, we have all these preconceptions of things. And, I mean, even when you were giving the comparison between the stockbroker in Manhattan and the penthouse and uh, the tribal person in, in Africa and their little mud hut exchanging rice and eggs, I sat there and I, I caught myself. I'm like, I was making judgments. I'm like, oh, that's so primitive. And I'm like, well, which one's primitive? Maybe the stockbroker is the primitive one. <laughs> Listen, I mean, we, it's the same gesture any way you slice it. It's the oh, same. Oh, I love it. It's the same skill, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, so tell me about. You say your mother was an actress. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, my whole career has been in the theater, mm. and so she and I may have. Uh, and I was in Denver theater for a very long time. Actually. Nice. 
I studied she, at the, the Denver she Center. She was in San Diego. The Old Globe is where she did most of oh, her. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. You know, and there are a lot of life skills that we learn in the theater. Um, I know my son benefited from that during his mm -hmm. brief 13 year lifetime. Uh, he sadly passed from brain cancer when he was 13. Oh. And yeah. Oh. And he was a voracious reader. And I think that that, a lot of it I, I attribute not only to my philosophy as a parent and, and guidance. I was a single dad, he was my only child. For years, I've turned on the television and the internet and have felt bombarded with messages of support, begging for money to support children in Africa, Afghanistan, India, all over the world, war-torn countries, children are starving, not only for food, but for education and love in some cases. Um, I recently connected with Desire Childcare Organization uh, that transforms the lives of orphans and vulnerable Ugandan children in Kampala and Mukono by providing wholesome food, housing, healthcare, and creative arts education from early childhood to adulthood. Won't you join me in helping save orphans and vulnerable children? We can do it together, one organization at a time. I chose this one. Visit desirechildcare.org for more information. Thank you. And have you, are you familiar with Waldorf education? Yeah, absolutely. So he was a Waldorf I, I kid. Love it. I, was, I think, yeah, I love it. It's actually, it's kind of funny because people will often ask, I was just being interviewed the other day and they, the question was, uh, uh, what do you think Dr. Purcell, public schools or charter schools? My answer was yes. Yeah. I exactly. mean, I'm like, it depends on the kid. I mean, some kids, kid. a Waldorf school is where they're going to prosper. Some kids, a Montessori is where they're going to prosper. That's some right. kids, homeschooling. A That's lot right. of kids, vocational schools, and I don't understand why we don't have more of those. And that's, right. that's actually the problem I have with the education system. Uh, the reason I often got fired as a teacher and as an administrator was I have a mouth. And I always <laughs> argued, if the answer to my question is not because this is what's best for this child, that's why right. are we doing it? You know, yeah. I don't care if there's a mandate. Oh, we have to, the state says there's a mandate. We have to do it this way. I'm like, okay, so you'll appreciate this as an actor. I'm like, show me that inspirational teaching movie where they say he went to the inner city and he inspired his students by using the state's mandatory scripted reading program. I've never, I've never seen that movie, but no. I, I see people that use poetry. I see people that use drama. I see people that use sports. You well, know, and that's why I chose Waldorf for Cameron because, yeah. his, because the arts and creativity and non-competitive mm -hmm. physical education are the cornerstone of the education. They do no academics prior to first grade, none, zero. Let children be children. Let them explore the world around them through touch and music and you know color and natural materials. There are no plastic toys, nothing like you see in a conventional school. And they don't force reading on kids. First grade, the whole theme of the first grade year is in fairy tales because that's where children are at that age. Everything's magic to them, right? Fairies and gnomes and elves and dragons and, you know, kings and queens and all that, you know, the stuff that we've all grown up with. And when they teach the alphabet, they don't teach it in a linear way. It's not ABC by rote, you gotta repeat everything. When they teach math, it's not one plus one equals two out of a book. Once upon a time, dear children, there were four little gnomes who lived in the woods and every morning they'd wake up with the sun and they'd wash their little faces and scrub their little beards and wring it out, you know, and they'd put on their packs and they'd hike up to the mountain and they would mine for jewels and they would bring these beautiful jewels back to their little cabins. And the first little gnome, was called Pasha Plus, and she was a very greedy little gnome, and she liked to hoard all of her jewels, right? And she would carve a, a, an oak chest and fill them with a thousand jewels and then lock it with a brass key. And then she'd have to make another one because that one was full. And before she knew it, her little hut was full of all these 
chests full of jewels, right? And she had more and more and she had to build another house. And then, you know, poor little Misha Minus had a hole in his satchel and he was always losing his jewels, right? So he was so sad because, you know, he was losing head less and less. And Disha Divide was very generous and she loved to share her jewels with her friends and family and the little that was left over she kept for herself. So they're learning these concepts of mathematics and, you know, the alphabet, right? The letter B becomes a bear with a big belly or a king becomes, you know, a, a you know, it's a, it's an image, it's an artistic image expression. And then, and they don't teach reading in first grade, but they provide all the tools so that when they hit second grade, when most kids are ready to read, because not mm -hmm. all are ready at the same That's right. time. That's right. right. We're not cookie cutter. These kids are ready. They're like greyhounds at the gate. They cannot wait. Cameron used to stack 40 books on a, on a, on the sofa next to him and just, even before he knew what he was doing, he was putting his finger down and, and mouthing, right, as he went along each line and pretending like he could read. That was a very interesting and telling impulse. And I'm not here to be a poster child for Waldorf education, but I think that there are alternatives to what we see as conventional. Just because we learned a certain way doesn't mean our children are gonna learn that way. We were prepared for one kind of world, they're experiencing a completely different kind of world now. Well, and I would submit Henry Cameron, first of all, I love that. I mean, it's really proves my point is that the way people learn is through storytelling. And that's yeah. what you just did is, yeah, it you know, is. People, people don't learn through rote memorization. I mean, you might be able to, it might help in your short-term memory, but I don't think long-term mastery is ever accomplished through rote memorization. Uh, but I just love that. I mean, and you're right, some kids, it drives me nuts when people brag that their kid is already reading when they're in kindergarten or something. I'm like, well, that's great for that kid. But last time I checked, the application of Harvard doesn't ask when you learned how to read. You learn. And if they and if they teach themselves how to read in kindergarten, great. That's our natural impulse. Let it unfold. But don't force it down them. And no, if they're, if they're I, learning I to read agree. at a very young age, don't limit them in their in their impulse to read. Right. Yeah. That was the thing that Cameron taught himself to read when he was five, but they didn't, they didn't stop him from doing that in the yeah. world of school, even though they didn't meet it until age nine, you know, say eight or nine. Oh, I love it. I love it. Take, yeah. take me wherever the child goes. I, there's a great book, uh, uh, Tato-chan by Tetsuko Kuroyagi. She was basically like Japan's version of Oprah. Yeah. And the whole book, it's a very short book, under 200 pages. And it's about, uh, she didn't realize it in first grade, she was expelled from school. And so they put her in a special school. And I just love it. So the principal, she meets the principal and the principal tells me, what do you know? And she talks and talks and talks for five hours. He just That's listens right. to her. And then afterwards she finishes after five hours. She's like, is that it? And she's like, yes. He's like, okay, now we will begin. Yeah. And I'm like, how cool is that? Yes. <laughs> and it's just like, just this simple Japanese fishing village and how they, I'm like, oh, I got so inspired, many. Inspired, be inspired. There are so many ways. You know, we have listeners in 35 countries around the world. And so this is why, oh, I'll put a link in the description below. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful, uh, well, because one of the, uh, one of my hats is I have the, one of the world's top reading book clubs called lazyreaders.com. Uh, it's free subscription for anybody that subscribes. Uh, I'll put once that a link month, too. That's great. Yeah, one, once a month, I update it with 10 new book recommendations, three or four adult level, three or four young adult level, and three or four children's level books, all under 250 pages. So you have something you can read when you're stuck in a, a boring meeting. Yeah. Uh, that's what people always tell me they have no time to read. I'm like, yeah, who has time to read after you watch the game on TV, have a couple of beers, go out shopping and like, there's your no such thing. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as time management. There's only priority management. If you want to read, you can make the time for it. Time so. is an illusion, but this is, goes back to what I said earlier about, about this, this reflection of the divine. We have power over time and space. Uh -huh. We really do. And it's it's all illusory, right? We're here to have a life experience and and to cherish this time that we have in the physical with mm. one another. And as a parent of child loss, let me tell you, yeah. it is important to cherish the time yeah. we have because nobody is promised 
tomorrow. Not I one broke my heart. It broke my heart when you said, I, I mean, and that's a great word, cherish. I mean, life's a gift. Um, you know, just look at, focus on, you had 13 wonderful years with your Brilliant. son. Absolutely. I mean, what, what a great gift you were given. I mean, and you know, what's amazing is that I don't believe in death anymore. That's, yeah. that was the real, you know, I think with every experience, mm -hmm. there's, there's a gift hidden somewhere in it. With every challenge comes an opportunity. Shadow and Light LLC was established by Dave Roberts and Reverend Patty Farino, co-authors of When the Psychology Professor Met the Minister. Their mission is to empower individuals to transcend life challenges by integrating spiritual practices with psychology to achieve peace. They are available for individualized spiritual counseling, virtual or in-person presentations and workshops to universities, organizations, and other interested groups, virtual or in-person book club meetings. For further information, go to psychologyprofessorandminister.com. Greetings, greetings. I'm Queen B. Divine. The cure is conversation. And where can you find me? At bluntreflections.com, where I will be talking to guests from around the world that not only share their time, but their insights and their tips on how they became the best version of who they were meant to be. So if you're looking for a great story and a great time, check me out at bluntreflections.com. The cure is conversation. And remember, blase, blase means to tell your story. And what I was sort of the epiphany that I had uh, after my mourning period, I believe that mourning is a temporary state. Grief is forever. And it's how you channel that grief that makes a difference. This is another universal life skill, grief. How do we deal with grief? And what I know is that we are all energy whether it's your coffee cup or whether it's your bookshelf or whether it's your wife and kids, you are all, we are all energy and energy as we understand it through physics cannot be created and it cannot be destroyed. It transmutes, it changes form. And we as humans have the imagination and the capacity to sort of hone the skills to be able to sense. We have more than five senses. We have many more senses than we give ourselves knowledge about. Yeah, people need we, to find common sense. That's the most important. Common, thank you. <laughs> well, and I, I believe that your intuition is 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 a big part of that common sense, right? Uh -huh. Trust your intuition. Learn about your instincts and and mm -hmm. and trust them. We're we're deviated from that. Yeah. That capacity to sense where the energy goes. Right. So Cameron is still with us. He's just in a different form. Your mother is still with us. She's just, yeah. and every time we talk about them, every time we see them in our mind's eye, we know they're there. We know they're with us. We can feel them. We can sometimes even smell them, right? In a good way. Because kids are kind of stinky sometimes. Um, so as we as we wrap up this amazing conversation, we have to do a, a part two sometime because this yeah, is yeah, we're covering great. a lot. I, I'm amazed by this. <laughs> so this is like I, I I'm glad uh, for you. It's the end of your day for me. It's the beginning. This is the way I want to start every day. This is great. I, great. I, well, I you know, it. listen, permission I, is a powerful. I miss, thing. <laughs> I, I miss this experience where it's just two friends just sitting down at a cafe, having coffee, watching people walking by, and just having okay. a discussion about the world and about the universe. I mean, people don't. I people are in such a hurry, and I think we all need to slow down. And that was actually to me the gift. When we're talking about perspective, I thought the pandemic was a tremendous gift. I thought, I uh, wow, it really, uh, it refocused a lot of our priorities if people yeah. actually paid attention to the lessons. That's right. Uh, but it was, for me, it was lovely as a public speaker. People like, oh, how did it affect your speaking? I'm like, oh, it was great. You know, uh, when they shut down all public events, <laughs> that was great for a speaker, you know, <laughs> but... That's the negative. The positive, which I focus on the positive, uh, was I was I've been home with my family 
and I, I found I love my family and we, yeah. we spent time just hanging out and laughing together. And, uh, I, I realized we don't need all these little crazy things that we think we need. Um, there's a great book, uh, book of poetry by the children's poet, uh, Cynthia Ryland called when I was young in the mountains. And it's, mm. it's the same ba basic thing. It's one of my favorite endings to a book. You know, she basically says, you know, when I was young, I didn't need to go to the beach. I didn't need to go to the city. All I had to be was in the mountains. Cause that's where my family was. And that's all I needed. And it's just, it's yeah, lovely. Hey, it's like the end of the wizard of Oz, you know? Yeah. Oh, I mean, Hey, if I have to go looking for my heart's desire again, I won't look any further than my own backyard because if it isn't there, I never really lost it to begin with. That's right. Bam, That's right. L. Frank Baum. Listen, I know. before we wrap up, I know, I know you've got to go, but I always ask my, my guest co-hosts um, to share with us three tools from your kit that listeners around the world universally might be able to synthesize with the tools that are already in their kit to help ramp up the most important in your estimation life skills that they we could be focusing on right now well so i learn from kids all the time i i mean that that's uh, especially once i started teaching the little ones they ask the best questions uh, so i guess that's the first thing i will i will advise people is ask questions be curious uh you know uh the older i get the more i realize i don't know that much and I need to keep on learning. So uh, ask questions. The second thing, obviously, is going to be to read. Um, you know, you need to read. You don't actually have to travel anywhere other than the public library. And you have access, a passport to the entire planet, to all these different uh, trains of thought. Um, you know, uh, and I love that because a book is a great escape for that little boy who thinks, oh, I'm not like the other boys. There's a great book written out there somewhere that shows you, oh, there are people just like me. Just you like know? you, yeah. I love And I love that about uh, uh, books. And then um, uh, the third thing, and this is the one I think adults have to really learn is uh, kindness. You know, we need to learn to be a little bit kinder to one another. Um, you know, life's too short to be angry. Uh, I really, I would love to, do a training with Congress and I would just take them all bowling because I don't, know <laughs> how you, I don't know how you can be serious bowling. I mean, it's not really a sport when you get better, the more you drink. And oh, I know some beer. people are pretty damn serious about bowling. <laughs> no, there's people <laughs> that are serious about everything. They'll find a way. Those are people you, you have to make fun of when you're bowling because if exactly. they ball and they have their own kid, that's when you just have to laugh at them. Um, you know, uh, Actually, I'm going to give a fourth one, and that's to laugh at ourselves because life's too short. I mean, uh, I learned I'm not all that and you're not all that. And if you think you're all that, teach kindergarten for one week. Those little ones will set you straight. I once exactly. had a little girl, LaShonda, she raises her hand. She's like, Miss Brassell, when are you going to trim your nose hair? I'm like, this afternoon. Thanks for bringing that to my attention, LaShonda. I ain't all that. I think I a lot of that. us could, could use a lot more laughter. And then uh, just one thing I wanted to give as a, as a thank you to your audience for enduring with me uh, for an hour. Um, oh, it's been if wonderful. You to, if you go to freegiftfromdanny.com, again, freegiftfromdanny.com, I'm going to give everybody uh, a complimentary e-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. This is a book uh, I wrote for a principal who was trying to keep his faculty and staff positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation, demonstrates mm -hmm. the same concept, you can read that in five minutes. And I'm also going to give you access to a five-day reading challenge I did last summer for about 700 parents around the world, where every day for an hour, I give you all kinds of tips to get your kids excited about reading. Because the more excited we get our kids to read, the more likely they are to read. And the mm -hmm. more they read, the better they get. But uh, I, I mean, I actually, uh, I kind of feel like, uh, I feel like the Tin Man at the end of Wizard of Oz. I don't want this to end. Uh, oh, <laughs> well, that's why we had to do another part two. You know, I, I, my my cousin who I was telling you about, um, my, my Ojibwe cousin, um, his mantra that he's putting out into the world is that kindness is the power in peace. 
And I think that's a simple message, but a, but a very profound one. And I'm so glad that you offered that up as a universal life skill. Kindness is a life skill. And if we can be excited about kindness and we can be excited about literacy in all its forms, then children are looking at us for how to be in the world. We have a lot of little eyes on us. And so the more excited we are about those good things, they're going to be excited too. Danny, thank you so much for this time. We'll do it again, brother. Thank you so much, Andrew Cameron. God bless and uh, keep on being you. Thank you. You bet, <laughs> you bet on it. <laughs>